The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. Philippians 4, and this is the last chapter of Philippians, and uh, we're going to talk about, again, maintaining our joy, and we have uh, maybe one more week of joy, maybe two of uh, messages on joy. I hope it's something we carry on with. And uh, Philippians chapter 4, in the late 1800s, there were just two deacons in a small Baptist church in Mayfield County, Kentucky. One, sun, uh, one Sunday, uh, one of the deacons put up a small wooden peg. Now, this is a, a, a story that's supposedly true, has some truth to it. And uh, so these two deacons, one of them put a small wooden peg in the back of the wall, on the back wall, so when the minister came in, he could hang his hat on it. When the other deacon discovered the peg, he was outraged over it. Uh, he'd not been consulted about putting the peg up, so before long, the church took sides and eventually split. To this day, the story goes, in Mayfield County, Kentucky, you can find the anti-peg Baptist church, <laughs> and that's where their name came from, from back in the 1800s. So, uh, have you ever been a part or uh, at least a bystander in a conflict within the church family? Some of you have, hopefully you haven't, but if you have, you, you know how painful it can be. Uh, churches uh, actually split and friends divide up and congregations uh, choose sides and uh, accuse the other group of being unchristian. Now, I, I'll uh, say, make this statement before I, I don't see any of these problems in our church, so don't uh, leave here thinking, oh, I wonder what he's aiming at this morning. It's just uh, as Paul is progressing through the book of Philippians, he's talking about joy, and this is a subject he deals with. So I thought we would go ahead and deal with it as we come to it in Philippians. Uh, there's many reasons why churches go through times of turmoil, uh, turmoil I think, and uh, different things. Sometimes issues are important. Sometimes they're, uh, they're uh, spiritual soundness of the church. And, and if that's the case, you know, that's, uh, uh, sometimes that is an issue that you have to, to drill down into and, and have to make some firm decisions about the, uh, the spiritual issues of a church. But but most often, or most of the time, it's uh, over petty, insignificant things, uh, the smallest things. Many churches have split over issues as simple as the color of carpet or the color of paint on the wall or the choice of a hymn book, uh, different things like that, uh, that, that the most petty of things. And in these church conflicts, they bring about deep scars in the body of Christ and uh, I could give you examples of guys that I worked with, and I've mentioned some before, that uh, were just babies in Christ, and they became a part of a, a church, and the church went through some petty arguments, and because of that, uh, they end up just, uh, he ended up with just a bad taste uh, of church. And uh, Jesus uh, talked about uh, churches. He talked about, and, and when I say the church, again, I'll remind you, I'm not talking about the buildings. I'm talking about us, the people. Uh, in the church, and when I say the people of the church, I'm not just talking about East Delta. Uh, the bride of Christ, the church, is the group of body of believers, and uh, that's the community of believers. And in the process, when the, when the church uh, begins to have conflict, the whole community of the church is, is hurt. 
in John chapter 13, and you don't have to turn there, but John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus taught his disciples that they were to be known, they were to be, uh, they were to be uh, looked upon as someone who loved, someone who loved one another, who, who loved the community, and he wanted the, the church to be remembered as that, his disciples. Over in the Sermon on the Mount of Matthew 5, 23 and 24, Jesus told his listeners that if they were at the altar praying or they were at the altar bringing a gift and they remembered that they had something uh, against one of the other church members, they were to get up and, and leave their gift at the altar. They were to leave and they were to go and, and be reconciled with the brother in the church and, and then come back and, and offer their gift because Jesus realized that we couldn't truly worship when you're at odds with a brother in Christ, that that, that hinders your worship. And then uh, in, his, in his high priestly prayer in John 17, 21, Jesus prayed that his followers might be, be one together. That was Jesus' desire for his followers, for the, for the church of Christ. So when we look at all these scriptures, it would appear that God wants his children to get along together, that he, he wants his church to, to come together as one. And, and here in uh, the, uh, the church at Philippi, Paul is addressing this church in the story that we're going to read today. There's three general principles concerning uh, the maintaining joy in the midst of conflict or the midst of disagreement. So in Philippians chapter 4, starting there in verse 1, Paul says this, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy, my crown, Paul's referring to the church there, my, my beloved brethren, I long for you. You're my joy, my crown. So stand steadfast in the Lord, beloved. I employ Eoda. And I look these names up. If you want to be mad at your parents, if they name you Eoda, that might be a good thing. Or, or Sintasis. And, and uh, those two names, he says, I implore both of you to be in the same mind in the Lord. I thought this was kind of funny. Paul is writing a church, and he just calls two people out, doesn't he? I mean, by name, he says, Eodai and, and Synthasia, I, I, I employ you to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose name are written in the book of life. What does that tell us? Paul is talking about Christians here. He's talking about Christians in the church at Philippi. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So as we look at these three ideals this morning about maintaining joy in the midst of conflict, the first thing we see is conflict happens even in good churches. In good churches, even in good churches, you find brethren who have difference with each other's. That was the case at the church at Philippi. Paul begins telling the people of, of Philippi that, that they are his joy. They are his crown. He uses a word that, that literally means my victory's crown. And what Paul is saying is that he views those Christians there at Philippi as his reward. And, and when he stands before Christ, he, he is going to say, here's some, some tangible people that, that, that are a result of spiritual work. And, and the, the Bible teaches on the crowns that we'll receive in heaven. And, and Paul is saying, hey church, you are, you are my crown in heaven. 
and, and I love you, and I wish I was there, and I wish I was in your presence. And, and so he, he lays this picture out to the church that, that I'm going to stand before God, and, and you're going to be trophies of my grace and, and trophies of God's grace, and, and, and I, I, I want to come to you, but, but there's a problem here. And in, in the problem, Paul says, I got some thorns in my crown in this church. And, and as, as he, he looks at this church, he says, these saved members of the bodies of Christ, there's, there's personalities and, and there's a conflict there. And, and folks, if you think about this, we, we are a, we're a body of people and we have different personalities and, and we're going to clash sometimes. Believe it or not, Denise and I clash sometimes as easy as I am to get along with. I'm the easiest person to live with you've ever seen, but we clash because of her personality sometimes. And, and that happens in the church. And, and Paul understands that. And folks, we need to understand that, that, that when we get a body of people together, there's going to be times that we clash and, and feelings are still going to get hurt. And, and there's going to be times when we get overwhelmed and, and it's going to be times that we're not easy to get along with. Amen. If you're married, say amen. amen. If you've just been married a couple of weeks, say amen. <laughs> they don't know yet, see, but, but that was pretty weak, and they looked at each other first to make sure it was all right to even say that. But, but there's going to be times that, that people still disappoint us, and, and we have different approaches how we solve problems. And, and we need to understand that good churches, they, they can still have problems sometimes, and they can still uh, have times that people are hurt, and that, that's, that's because that we are a group of people, and we do have different thoughts. But the real problem comes from a loss of perspective, I believe. I believe when a church gets in that situation, they've lost their perspective. A, a story is it told about one day a father took his son and one of his son's friends on a fishing trip. They went on this fishing trip. They got to their campsite, and everything was perfect. The weather was warm. They went. They, the lake was calm. They had a level campsite that they found. They set up their tent. They cooked supper. They, they went to bed. They were anticipating several great days of fishing. But during the night, the uh, cold front blew in. So the next morning when they got up, it was really cold outside. The wind was blowing and uh, blew the tent all through the night. So that next morning it was in the low 40s and, and they said, well, we'll just stay in the tent today. So they kind of stayed in the tent all day and they uh, occupied themselves by telling stories and playing different silly games and things just to kind of uh, make it through the day and uh, just to make the best of a bad situation. And they went to bed just hoping that the next day things are going to be better. But sure enough, during the, the next day, it, it only got worse and uh, more of the same and even worse and even worse. It began to rain and the wind began to blow and the lake became rougher and rougher and they tried to wait it out and just occupying themselves in the tent and going through uh, their, their motions. And by the end of the day, everybody was on edge. Everybody was angry with one another. They decided just to pack up and go back home. And the moral of the story is this. Uh, they discovered when fishermen don't fish, they fight. And, and as simple as that is, that's also true in the church. When, when we as a church are not doing what we're supposed to be doing, we're a lot more vulnerable to disagreements. 
when we just kind of start going through the motion, we kind of lose perspective of what we're all about. And we start worrying more about the color of carpet or the color of the paint or the, the, what the back of the hymnals looks like. We've kind of lost perspective. So, so that's, that's, the, that's the real problem, I believe. In verse 2, Paul says of our text here in Philippians, Paul says, I implore you. That, that word means I literally, I urge you or I'm pleading with you. And as he pleads with them to, 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 to both parties, it's interesting that, that he didn't just call out one, or, but individually he, he called each of these people out. And, and he says, I'm pleading with you. I'm, 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 I'm earnestly asking you to tenderly and equally uh, come together on this issue that you're divided in. That's where Paul's heart was. Paul calls them by name, pleading with them to put aside their differences. And, and here's a great statement. Our collective efforts as a body of Christ are more important than our individual differences. Did you hear that? Our collective efforts as the whole body of Christ, they're in more important than our individual differences. And sometimes we think our individual differences are more important than the body of Christ. That's when we lose perspective, and I think that's where we end up losing some joy, when we really forget why we're here and, and what we're there for. And, and this fishing trip even, you know, if, if they hadn't a lost perspective, hey, we're here to spend some time together, to have some fun, to have some quality time, but they kind of lost perspective of all that. And I think that happens in the church today. So really, not only does conflict occur in, in good churches, but uh, secondly, conflict has consequences. There's always consequences because of, because of conflict. These two women, both are, are committed Christians. Both of them have come aside and, and worked with Paul, and, and they've had a disagreement. We have no idea what it was. Paul doesn't list it, and, and I think it's not an accident that Paul doesn't list it because I think if Paul listed it, we might tend to read it and say, well, I don't have that problem. This doesn't apply to me. So I think Paul doesn't list it. Paul doesn't take sides. He just simply says, hey, I don't, I don't, he don't say, I think this person's right, you're wrong, you're right, you're wrong. He just comes and he pleads for them, be of the same mind. That, that means to agree with each other in the Lord. To agree with each other in the Lord, it would seem that Paul is saying, for the sake of the Lord, in this disagreement. Charles Swindoll, I'm sure you've heard of him, he says this, when disharmony arises between two people or true groups, there is some measure of fault on both sides. Both parties must be encouraged to see each other's faults, each other's failures, and meet on common ground with a mutual willingness to listen and to change. And, and that's probably pretty true. You know, when, when there's a conflict, there's probably a little fault on both sides. And, and really, we, we, really, we should look at someone else and, and, and realize they have some faults, but I have some faults too. And, and they have some failures, but, but I have some failures too. And, and that's what Paul is, is urging these two ladies to do. But here's some conflict, some of, the, some of the, uh, the, the conflict, the consequences of these conflicts. First, it destroys a relationship between those two people. Between those two groups, there's a, their relationship is destroyed. These two women identified as Eoda, that name literally means fragrance. 
That's, that's what the, the, the name would mean. And, and Sintashis, it, it literally means fortunate. So, so we have fragrance and fortunate. And these women have a problem that's alienated themselves from one another. And, and it, it's, potentially going to, it's potentially going to harm the whole fellowship of the church. Those two ladies. So, so there's, 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 there's something that's destroyed there. That's the first thing, the consequences. Secondly, it disrupts the unity of the church. The unity of the church is affected when, when that group starts to, to, to build momentum. And what do we do now? We have, we have a telephone or we, we get together and we start recruiting folks for our side, don't we? Hey, let me tell you what, what you owe you owe you die done and, and and let me tell you what Sintashi's done and, and we start building up our little clans together and our little clans together and, and what it's doing is it's disrupting the unity of the church. And I think we need to be careful about that. There's a church in Louisiana, one side of the roof is green and one side of the roof is red. You already know where it's going, don't you? They decided to roof the church, and, and as they began to roof the church, one group wanted it red, and they were adamant about, it needs to be red. And the other group said, no, it needs to be green. It'll fit in better. It looks better. And, and they went on and on and on, and finally they compromised and said, okay, we're going to make half of it red and half of it green. Now, if we did that here, Somebody would be mad because the front half was not their color. They'd say, well, you put the green on the back, and then nobody can see it now. You know, that, that's just kind of how they are. And, and the problem with that, you say, well, that was compromise. The problem with that was that the community's going to look and say, you know what, there's disunity there. Because looky there, they, they can't even get along. And, and I'm sure there's groups out there saying, you know, it should have all been red anyway. But, but those little things, that, that disrupts the unity of the church. And that's a problem, folks. Remember the church. And, and I don't want you to think this morning about everybody else, but you are the church. Individually, you are the church. And, and how you respond to one another, that makes a difference in the body, in the unity of Christ. The third thing, it displays a bad example for a lost world. When the church is not unified, it's, it's a bad example for, for the world to look at. And although some conflicts are inevitable, sometimes we're going to have those just as human beings work together. There's going to be differences. There's going to be conflicts. But it doesn't have to escalate into full warfare. I mean, we can settle those things. There's a, there's a parable entitled, uh, A Brawling Bride. Karen Maine, she, she describes a, a suspenseful moment at a wedding ceremony. And I, I really liked what it says. She says, down front stands the groom in a spotless tuxedo. He's handsome, smiling, and full of anticipation. Shoes are shined, every hair in place, anxiously awaiting the presence of his bride. All the attendants are in place, looking joyful and attractive. The magical moment finally arrives as the pipe organ reaches its full crescendo and the stately wedding march begins. And everyone rises and looks towards the door for their first glimpse of the new bride. Suddenly there's a horrified gasp. The wedding party is shocked. The groom stares in embarrassment and disbelief. Instead of a lovely woman dressed in an elegant white gown, smiling behind a lace veil, a, a lace veil, the bride is limping down the aisle. Her dress is soiled and torn. 
Her leg seems twisted, and there's ugly cuts and bruises that cover her bare arms. Her nose is bleeding. One eye is purple and swollen. Her hair is just messed all up. Does not this handsome groom deserve better than this? And alas, does his bride, Christ, bride the church, has it been fighting again? Isn't that a great picture of the bride of Christ? The groom standing, waiting to be presented with his bride, the church, and the bride comes in, and alas, she's been fighting again. And that's a great picture of the disharmony the world sees when they look at the church who fights. The world has a, a field day watching the church fall apart. The, the church that fights, the church that, that quarrels. We were eating uh, years ago, and uh, we were down in, a, a, in Dallas, and Jacob was playing on a traveling baseball team, and we had taken this Sunday off. They were in a championship game, and we went down to, to watch them, and we were there with some, Barry, you were there, I don't know if you remember this or not, but uh, we were there with some friends of ours, and, and uh, we'd got out of the church in the parking lot, and this, this big group of folks was together, and they were obviously had been in church. They, they had on bright yellow suits and purple suits, and ladies had on fancy hats, and they were dressed to the T. And they had had some kind of disagreement, evidently, at their church, because one of the men said loudly, I told him this was my, and he used a word that we would never use in the company of women and hopefully one another, and I'm going to do it the way I want to. <laughs> and the guy that was with us looked at me. Do you remember that, Barry? The guy looked at me and said, God, did you hear that? Now, that was a picture of the church to him. He's unchurched. But to, but to hear the guy say, this is my blanking church and I'll do what I want to in it. Well, that's what the world sees. That's what the world sees when they look at a church that, that has disunity in it. They say, well, where, where's the love in that? And Paul maintains that Christians should not, uh, should, he, he, he says we should be able to resolve our issues in the house of God, not, not out on the road in a parking lot with, with little entourage saying, hey, I told him this is the way it's going to be, and, and this is the way it's going to be. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 through 8, this same condition, it, it existed in the church at Corinth. And listen to what Paul says, I dare any of you, having a matter against one another, to go to the law before unrighteousness, before an unrighteous judge, and not before the saints. Talking about the church. Verse 2. Do you not know that the saints will judge this world? And if the world will be judged by you, the saints, the church. He's talking about Revelation. When the, the, the says that, that born again Christians will be judging those who are lost. That's part of going to be part of your jobs, Christians, when you get to heaven. He says, do you not know that the saints are going to judge this world? And if the world be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge some of the smallest matters in the church? Do you not know that we shall judge the angel, angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If you have judgments concerning things which pertain to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? 
I say this is to your shame. It is so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren. But your brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to the law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you, have do, you do these things even to the brethren. What Paul is talking about here is, is he's talking about this. When we as a church, we ought to be able to come together. And if we have disagreements in the church, we ought to be able to settle them in the church. He says the church in Corinth, they were, they were getting arguments with one another, and they were going out to the courts and suing one another. And he said, you're going before unrighteous judges. You're going between, before lost and sinner and worldly people, and, and you're letting them decide the matters of the church. He says, church, we ought to be able to come together, and we ought to be able to deal with these issues as a church and as a group of people. As I said, I don't see these problems in this church, but, but we need to be aware that that's what Satan does. Satan prowls around looking looking for those footholds, if he can cause division in some area of the church, even of the smallest things, he can begin to divide, he can begin to make the world look on the church in a matter of disagreements and how the church can be destroyed of that. This, this disagreement between these two women at, in, in Philippi, they could be completely resolved by the church. So Paul says here, and this brings us to the last point, he says sometimes you need some help resolving a conflict. Sometimes we have to go out and, and we need to get some help. There, there's, there's some underlying assumptions that both of these women wanted to work things out here. So he says in verse 3 to the church, help these ladies, help these women. Paul's not too proud to call on help. Some of your translations here, here may, use a, may use a word that says suzygus. It may be a word that says yoke fella. There may be different translations there, but, but Paul actually used this word suzygus, and, and it's, it can be a proper name. That could be someone's name in the church, or it could be a true companion. It doesn't matter the case. A yoke fella is simply someone who comes along beside you. So if, if your translation says yoke fella, uh, mine says yoke fella in the, in the NIV. So whatever your translation says, if it says Susigus, that's the same word. It simply is a name of someone or a true companion. So Paul calls on this true companion, this, this person to come alongside, and he says, hey, would you help this work this out? Would you help these ladies work this out? Would you, would you see if you can resolve this problem? Would you become a mediator between these two? Now, I want you to think about that, church. We're called to be someone who mediates. We're called to be someone who, who go, goes between. And in Matthew chapter 18, 15 through 16, it says this. This is Christ talking. If a fellow believer hurts you, go tell him or her. You know, sometimes somebody will get their feathers ruffled or somebody will get hurt, and the person that, that did the hurt don't even know they've done anything. They, they didn't have a clue. I've told you before, that's happened to churches that I was in one time. There's, there's a lady mad. We didn't know, we didn't know we'd done anything. But he says, go and tell that person and work it out between the two of you. Don't pick up the phone and get on the, the grape line and let everybody know, hey, this person hurt me. Let me tell you what he did and what she did. Blah, blah, blah. Can, can you believe that? Go to that person. Between the two of you, work it out. These are Jesus' words. If they've listened, you've made a friend. 
If they don't listen, take someone with you in the presence of a witness and keep things honest and try it again. See, the, the Lord says this is how church, this is how you work those things out. Get together, work those things out. The truth is most of us don't want to get in the middle of somebody else's business. Isn't that true? That, that's so true. I, I was watching a John Wayne movie this week, and, and uh, he, he's looking, and he's, he's watching them fixing to hang a guy, and he says, nope, I'm not going to interfere with somebody else's business. Then they hit some little kid, and he goes, well, that done it. I have to get involved now. So, but, but that's how most of us are. We don't want to get involved in, in somebody else's business because we're afraid that both parties will end up mad at us. I may have told you all this, but when Denise and I got married, we was poor as Job's turkey, and, and we didn't have time to do anything, so we would just go uh, at night. Our neighbors fought like cats and dogs. They fought. They didn't, they didn't argue fault. They fist fought. And uh, we would turn all our lights off, and we would open our front door and screen, and we'd get two chairs, and we'd sit there and watch and watch them fight. Oh, they'd get out in the front yard. You know the funny thing is, what happens if you interfere? They both jump on you and start beating you up, you know, when you're trying to help one of them out. Have I told you all that story? Boy, one night they was into it. We was into it, too. We had our popcorn and Cokes. We was watching them go after it, you know, and... and she was in her nightgown, and she was out there, and they were fighting, and, and uh, he got in his car and took off. And she ran out, and she held on the door of his car. No, it was her in the car, wasn't it? Drove her down the road about 50 yards, come loose. He come home. She got in her car and left. This is all true, folks. He's sitting in his car. She gets in her car. She leaves. She turns. She goes. We're like... Here she comes. Boom! Just runs into his car. It was worth the price of admission that night, folks. <laughs> Next day, you see them. How y'all doing? All good. How are y'all? Oh, it was wild out here last night. Well, oh, yeah. You know, we got it all worked out. <laughs> you know, just that. I don't want to get involved. Man, y'all fight. We want to sit back and watch. These are good seats, you know. And, and sometimes that's the way we are as a church. Hey, hey, there's some problems going on. Here's my option. I want to sit back and watch. I think I'll just get out of it. I'll just go somewhere else. But that's not what God says. God says, you know, sometimes we've got to be the mediator. We've got to be the one that answers the phone and says, well, why don't we just sit down together and see if we can work it out? Hey, why don't, we, why don't we get together and see what the real root of the problem is and, and let's work through those things. See, that's what God's ideal is for the church. And, and when we have conflict in the church, that's what we need to do. We need to come together. We need to act as, as, as comrades and we need to say, hey, we're together. We're a church. We are the body of Christ. Together as the body of Christ, we're going to be presented before God as a, as a bride before the groom. And we want to be presented as spotless and holy through the blood of Jesus Christ. And when we have divisions in the church, there's going to be restoration. And that restoration comes through the grace of God. And Paul talks to this church and he says, you know, there's a common ground for us today. 
And that common ground is found in Christ. And that common ground is found in the grace that Christ offers all of us. We're all different. We all have different personalities. We all have different, different thoughts and different opinions. But you know what? We have one common goal, and that's to build the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We have one purpose, and we don't need to lose perspective of the fact that God has called us to be His body in this community, in His body in this world And when we can negotiate, when we can resolve our conflicts, when we become peacemakers, in those times is where we truly find the joy of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, I pray today, as we just, uh, we're so thankful, Father, in this church that, that, Lord, we have a unity, that that we are bound together in your love. And, Father, I know there's probably times in this church that, uh, even myself, there's probably some folks that's been aggravated with me and maybe I've been aggravated with them. There may be some folks in this congregation this morning that, that would just have their feathers ruffled over something, another member. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't allow Satan a foothold in his place, that he'd begin to destroy, begin to tear apart what you're doing in this church today. Father, I pray for churches in our community and even beyond our community that, that, that are having divisions, that are having some issues. And, and Father, so many times the smallest things, just a peg in the wall, can cause disunity in the church. And Father, in a world that looks for hope, uh, in a world that's seeking peace and joy and hope, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be an obstacle But, Father, we'd be a a hospital, a place of healing, a place where we can find hope and we can find joy. Lord, I pray that we can know even in the midst of conflict, we can have joy that you give through your grace and through your love, Father. Lord, I pray that as we think about those differences, they can occur even in a godly church. Father, I pray that we'd know there are consequences and so often it destroys our relationships and the unity and the bad example to the world. And Father, I pray too that if we're in the midst of a conflict that sometimes we may just need to ask for some help, just a mediator, someone to go between. Father, I pray that we'd just uh, bear with one another's faults, with uh, our differences. And Father, for your glory, for your kingdom, Father, we would be about your business, not lose perspective, on who we are in you, what our purpose is as a church, and what our goal is to be presented before you, holy, spotless, without blemish, as your bride adorned with the blood of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the truth of your word, and I thank you for the deep-seated joy that you give us. In Jesus' name.